So, do we want to start with a little icebreaker? Hmm? Sure. I didn't introduce myself. Oh, we're jumping right into the episode. I thought we had we're getting a little banter no. before we start. We're just gonna jump. No, no, right no. Right. no, no, no. I wanted to introduce a near and dear friend to us to the podcast for sure. She gets special greetings, and she's gonna be on the pedestal because that's the type of person I am with somebody who's been in my life. I knew me when I was a nobody. <laughs> <laughs> we'll start with the icebreaker. I'm sorry. I did not want to interrupt your mojo, but go ahead. I, I came in late to the party. I apologize. Okay. That's all good. That's fine. We just want to start with a little icebreaker before we get started with the episode. That's all good. Um, okay. So, yeah, we're going to start with um, Would You Rather? Or Would You Rather okay. question. Um. I don't know which one to choose. Rove, would you like to choose one? <laughs> it's the super, super villain voice and look you're giving me. That's what's sending me right now. But um, would you rather live in the Arctic or live in the Sub-Sahara Desert? I would rather live in the Sub-Sahara Desert. I can't. No. Yeah. <laughs> I Because at least, I don't think I could be cold like that 24-7. Mm. And... You know, it's just a temperature thing. Like, I mean, it's hard being hot and it's hard being cold, but I think being cold all the time sounds like it hurts down to your bones. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I feel you. Yeah. I too would choose a desert. Um, yeah. You're always hot. I am always hot, but then I don't want to be always cold. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think I'll, I'll, I'll stick to the cold because no one will come. And I'll be in complete solitude and I'll have shorter days and longer <laughs> nights. I'm a night person. <laughs> All right. Well, good luck staying warm because I don't know what that's about. Wow. I'm are just you, saying. Are you are That's a thing. It is easier to, is easier to, well, actually, I don't know if it's easier to get warmer or get cooler, but. Moving on to the next one. Jessica, I know you would definitely. Uh, love this one because this is like a back to the future type of vibe. Would you <laughs> rather travel back in time or travel to the future? The future. I do not want to go back in time. I'm good. The past mm. can stay in the past. I'd rather move the, forward. The past is ghetto. We can all agree. <laughs> <laughs> past is big ghetto. Right. Don't like it there. Uh, no thank uh, you. Over. Right. I rated three <laughs> out of ten. I'm good. <laughs> That's pretty high. That's pretty high for the past. I mean, the past got some gems, but overall, mm-mm. what is this, honey? Yeah. No, thank you. Nope. <laughs> tomatoes, 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 tomatoes. Word. And the last one is, would you live without music or would you live without movies? I would live without movies. Mm. Mm. Music My attention can. span can be short. Yeah, I'd rather like I listen to music in the background when I'm driving. I like dancing, so yeah. Word. Yeah, oh. that's a tough one for me. I mean, I love me some movies, girl. Mm. But then yeah. music, music be that girl too. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Take food away from me <laughs> if we have to. But <laughs> I'm joking. That's we're all joking. That's a that's a joke. Uh-huh. <laughs> That was sarcasm. That's <laughs> like your rap career. I, I get it. I get it. All right. Well, we're, we're amongst company. You, we, we don't got to talk about that. That's fine. Okay. <laughs> he didn't pick music because he had a rap career that didn't go well. A very failed rap career back in college. Okay. It was a it was a very ugly mixtape that came out of my um, you know PC laptop, and it shall never be talked about again. As we talk about it again. again. Uh, I'm sure that's a lie. (laughs) Sophisticated ignorance. You slide it right in, didn't you? Nope, don't do that. Skirt, skirt. Queen of the block. I am evolving, okay? All right, here we go again. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Sophisticated Ignorance. Uh, another show, another day, uh, and we have a guest. Um, so, uh, you know, any, anytime someone decides to willingly agree 
to join us uh, that is on their own fruition. (laughs) 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 So they know what they're getting themselves into or not, (laughs) but we shall see. Now, it's going to be a good topic, a good episode. So we want to welcome our guest, Jessica, to the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. So um, as as I have just learned, uh, Jessica and Rove have quite the history. Uh, You know, they go way, way back. We do. Where, you know, yeah. Sixth grade. We, we were, yeah, at good old uh, junior high school, George Gershwin, East New York, Brooklyn. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. Whoop, whoop. One of the toughest schools in God, it was rough. Rough. <laughs> I, I remember bum rushes miss johnson that old lady that old teacher do you remember she got like knocked over because i don't know a bunch of kids started running down the hallway the bloods used to jump yes yeah and then the bloods used to wait after school to jump kids so you were always rushing to get on the bus you wanted to be like on the first buses out because otherwise it would be trouble always doing initiations right across from the pink houses um You had to for, for, be on your feet. <laughs> what? What happened? No, no, go on. F- finish. Are you la- you're laughing at our experiences in no, the educational system in New York City? No, no, no. Yeah. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, you know, we've gone back for almost, I can't even do the math, more than 20 years now. And Probably like 25-ish, it, yeah. 25, oh, golly. Oh. When you say it, that's a whole life. <laughs> That's a Gen Zer, yeah. <laughs> but that's fine. That's fine. Um, yeah, it's it's incredible to know someone and have that kind of connection and that relationship, and still be able to contact even though we don't talk every day. There's always that kind of fundamental type of loyalty and longevity with us and friendships like that. Because you know, I, I remember. It was a good, you know, it was a tough time, but it was a good time. And, you know, even though we went through, you know, the teenage angst and everything like that, it was definitely a growing experience for all of us there at our memorable junior high school, for sure. Yeah. That school's now shut down. That's how bad it was. They shut that place down. Yeah. Yep. And I think... (laughs) Well, I, my parents still live literally um, on Alabama, not too far. And I think it's about five five charter schools in there now. In that building, probably. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Five charter schools. One, two of them are high school. Two of them are junior high schools. And I'm like, how and why? But I guess they're trying to you know, gentrify the neighborhood, of course, because it was, it was bad when we went. Like, she just, mm. Jessica just gave you a little taste of yeah. um, <laughs> things going on with uh, girls getting all kinds of obscene things and being sexually harassed. Like, there was a lot mm. that went on. And, yeah. you know, it, it, it's thankful that, you know, there were some protective services over the children that were there because it's, it's not as, I would say, as malicious as things are today. Today, I feel like there's more um, a, a degree of sexual activities going on with a lot of women now, especially with uh, the digital era that makes it mm. even worse. At least back in the day, I can say if something happened, somebody might say, hey, what y'all doing? And, de- and then people would scatter and run. Like that doesn't happen anymore. Nobody stays outside. Everyone's home. You know, there's predators coming into the home and, you know, a lot of girls are impressionable, but that's just a, a, a whole nother topic. topic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> But we had good times too. We had good times. We had prom. We had all that good stuff. So right, it wasn't. It was a bad school, but we had good times and good memories. Right. So that's the end. All end. All towards yeah. it. Right. And we're look productive at citizens. Yeah. Exactly. Y'all here yeah, right now. Had, y'all made it. Yeah. We grew. Yeah. yeah. We, we made, a lot of us made it. So that's yeah. a different time, different era. Word. So. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's what's up. That's what's up. Love a good reunion special. Love it. <laughs> you see it on TV, but in real life, that that's that's the dream. So yeah, um, so yes, Jessica, uh, you know, we invited you on the show because you have such a unique and inspiring story that I'm sure our audience would love to hear. And you know, f- for those 
of uh, the ones that are listening that have been dealing with issues such as yours and kind of overcame or you're probably still kind of dealing with it now or whatever phase that is. Um, we'd just love to kind of get an idea of your story and you know what you're about and hopefully we can either help someone or like guide someone in the right direction and you know as i said get someone to a place where you are now uh where you can kind yeah. of just be like happy for your you know experience and your growth and all these things um you know for those of you who for more context you know uh jessica's had a journey with you know sobriety and all these things so you know we went to invite her on the show to have that conversation and just to you know get a first person perspective of you know your journey from then to now and you know definitely would love to just hear more about all that so uh i don't know i mean this <laughs> you know just based on the research that you know i did and you know i went on your website and you know just kind of got a idea of it but i i, I mean reading it and then you know, just imagining it are two different things. So, I, I mean, I guess the first thing to ask is kind of like, just give us like a brief history of of your, um, you know, your journey or your battle with alcoholism. And I know that's such a vague question, but, you know, yeah, um, yeah I mean, I don't even know where, where does one begin that story to kind of like yeah. summarize it enough. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, like I've been trying to figure out more ways to tell my story in bits and pieces because you never capture everything in any summary because there is so much. There's so many details. There's so many things I leave out one time and then I remember it the next time. But a quick summary. So, yeah, I was born and raised in Brooklyn, went to the same school as Rover for um, middle school. IS-166, George Gershwin. And um, I mean, I was a nerdy kid growing up. I was pretty shy, you know, always top with grades. Like I was always really, really bright and like school came super easy for me. So went to private school on a scholarship, college on a scholarship, you know, everything was just like, bam, bam, like, you know, scholarships and a lot of like opportunities. Things started to change when I got to college. So my parents were super strict. I get to college, suddenly I have freedom. And that's when drinking came in. And in the beginning, it seemed normal because everybody was binge drinking. I mean, I think most college students who drink don't drink in a healthy manner. A lot of them actually don't drink, but the ones that do and party, you know, it's never really in any balanced way. And it seemed normal until I graduated and suddenly it was happy hour and somebody caught, like somebody called me out at happy hour and was like, oh, isn't that one too many? And first of all, I was like, first of all, mind your business. But <laughs> the next thing was that I internalized that as like, oh, shit, like there's something wrong with the way that I'm drinking. And I don't like that other people are noticing it because no one ever I just associated it like a sh as a shameful thing. Like it's bad, like drinking too much is bad, you know, quote unquote. So that's when I started to pay attention to how other people drink. And like, let's say if it was happy hour, I drank how other people did. So like if everybody's glass was this full, mine was this full so that I never stood out in terms of my drinking. But then what would happen is that I would go home because I didn't get like that feeling that I liked. I didn't get that like warm buzz. So like on the way home from happy hour, always I get off the train at um, the J train at Crescent Street, stop by the little liquor store underneath, grab something small. Back then it was small. And I would like, you know, have myself a little nightcap or whatever by myself and then I got married, which slowed it down because when you live with someone who's not a heavy drinker, that kind of slows down, you know, holds you accountable and you can't be sloppy around somebody who's mostly okay. Um, but things really spiraled out of control when I got divorced in 2017. So 2017 was my first time living by myself ever. And suddenly, I mean, nobody could, nobody could point out that I was drinking too much, right? Like nobody can call that attention to me. And I mean, I was struggling emotionally because I had gotten divorced, even though it was like kind of initiated by me still, that's a huge life change after being with someone for seven years. And I was living by myself. I didn't have family. I had moved to Louisville, Kentucky, which is where my ex was from. And I chose not to leave Louisville either. So I was there by myself and I started to find myself drinking every day. And it was just kind of like this coping mechanism where I felt good when I drank. And I was a teacher this whole time, by the way, the same way I was a star student, I became a star teacher. So I would like lock out anything that was bothering me. It didn't matter when I was in the classroom and I was really like phenomenal, hands down. And I mean, I even won the state teacher of the year award in 2019. But the second that I took the teacher hat off, it was just drinking. 
you know? And so literally I was living like a double life. Like there was Ms. Duenas, the teacher who did everything by the book, perfectly fine. And then there was Jessica who was struggling with her drinking. And by the end of my drinking, I was drinking a fifth a day. So I was drinking a whole fifth a day in 2018, 2019. It was so much and it was so bad for my body that I actually developed alcoholic liver disease. Thank God it didn't become cirrhosis because I stopped. And so the, the liver does heal itself really fast. So that's when I started to try to get sober, but in secret, because remember, I carry the shame, like nobody wants to be alcoholic, like alcoholics are supposedly these people who can't keep jobs horrible to others. They're not responsible. They can't be trusted with people's children, which is all I did, right? So I went into a treatment facility in secret and I didn't tell anybody where I was. I was just gone for a couple days to like detox medically because you cannot, if you are hooked on alcohol, you can't try to stop by yourself. It could kill you. Mm-hmm. And um, I went back to work and I didn't drink for a couple months, but I ended up, um, I met somebody who was also in recovery and, you know, they'll say like, don't date when you're barely sober. I, I don't learn by, I never learned by advice. I learned by experience. So you tell me, don't do this. I'm still going to do it. So of course they said, don't date. And I dated and, um, his name was Ian and everything was fine, you know, until COVID hit. And because he also is, was a recovering, um, drug addict, alcoholic, um, when we lost all that support that we had, suddenly things changed, right? Like you didn't have your support, everything that you used to cope with, like going to the gym, going to school, doing all these things, they were gone and he relapsed. So, and again, when he relapsed, I didn't tell anybody. I was like, no, we're gonna be fine. And I didn't, and he relapsed on opiates and it became heroin, like it went straight from pills to heroin. And um, he lasted maybe like a weekend and he died on a Tuesday. And I, I don't remember if it was a Tuesday or Monday, he died on April 28th and, um, that set me off. Like as soon as he died, I started drinking again, like out of control, like way more than I ever had. Like to the point that I was hospitalized eight times, um, like alcohol poisoning levels, you know, it's a miracle. I didn't go into a coma. I wrecked my car, which is where I have like this huge scar from. Um, I mean, I had police wellness checks. It was like, I stopped functioning. I couldn't even go to work. Like, you know, I had to like pull out a ton of savings because I like stopped working, you know. And finally, like in November of 2020, I had my last hospitalization down here in Florida. My sister was like, you can't stay in Kentucky by yourself. So I was down here, but I still ended up drinking. You know, locations don't take away your alcoholism and addiction, right? Like that's in you. Right. So um, I ended up in a facility here and the doctor was like, can we evaluate you? He's like, how is it that like you still, you try to stop and you keep drinking. So it turns out um, that I have bipolar disorder, bipolar two, which is a milder version. And you know, like you'd have to read more about it, but essentially it's marked by major depressive episodes and people with mental health issues often, they coincide with substance abuse. So obviously I didn't have medication. So what was my medication all those years? Alcohol. So he recommended um, taking some medication and he was like, you know, this will stabilize you um, and maybe it might make you not want to drink. So I started taking the medication in early November and by the end of November, I actually didn't want to drink. So my sobriety date was November 28th, 2020, and I haven't had a drink since. And I mean, it's been the medication, but the biggest part too is that I said, fuck it (laughs) when I decided to stop drinking and I quit, like I quit teaching. I decided I was going to sell my house in Kentucky. I was going to move to Florida. I picked a job. I like applied to a job and I took it and I'm actually still there. And I said, you know what? I'm going to tell everybody for all the years that I suffered keeping that shit inside. I said, I'm done. Everybody's going to know because I'm over it. I'm tired of suffering. I spent all these years feeling ashamed of who the fuck I was when you know what, at the end of the day, there are a lot of things that I need to work on, but so does everybody else. And so I wrote an op-ed for the local newspaper in Louisville, Kentucky called the Courier Journal. And my, my sobriety date is November 28th, 2020. I published this article December 3rd, 2020, where I literally say everything. I don't even think I had a week sober. And I literally told everybody on the planet, <laughs> like what was wrong. 
And from there, it just had this amazing chain reaction where I thought I was not going to get support and I got only like amazing support from people. I mean, to the point where like as the months went on, like that article would keep going and going and going. I mean, by the time it hit May, I ended up on Red Table Talk with Jada Pinkett Smith because somebody saw the article in California and knew one of the producers and sent it to them. So the fact that I decided to just open my mouth and say, I don't give a shit anymore about like what anybody thinks I have to free myself from this fucking addiction. Um, everything just kind of came together in a way that I never thought. I always thought I knew I was going to be a teacher in my mind. I saw my life a completely different way. This is not how I envisioned my life to be at all but I would not change this for the world. And that, I would say that's kind of like my story now. So now I just hit 16 months sober like the other day. So it's been good and I'm healthy. My liver's good. We love a so good yeah, liver. I would say that's the, <laughs> yes, a good liver. It's great. I'm glad that you had this journey and you took the necessary steps, especially medically based, to look into and see that it, it is harmful for your life. And, you know, your regeneration of your liver is great. Hearing you come through uh, the shadows of alcoholism is something that is astounding to me. And this is why I wanted to reach out to you. And, you know, you, you brought up an interesting point about mental health and um, dealing with sobriety and using like alcohol or maybe opiate drugs or something to mask and try to numb the type of symptoms that one person may be feeling. I wanted to ask, how did you deal with depression? I guess before you had drink, you know, before you turned 21, because, you know, I guess we all go through some kind of depressive states in ourselves. But so before you reach for alcohol, how was something or were you noticing that you were depressed during that time going into, you know, your college years? Because I know that's when you were introduced to, to alcohol. To alcohol, yeah. Well, you know, it's so funny because I had this conversation, you know, I love, our parents always do the best that they can given the circumstances, but it doesn't mean that we aren't still traumatized a little bit by the things that they did. <laughs> so I was overweight, like very overweight when I was younger, Roberta probably remember. And my oh, parents, we both were. Yeah. I mean, and my mom <laughs> was obsessed. Yeah. My, my mom was obsessed with me needing to be thin. And so always it was like fat this, fat that. There's a lot of fat shaming going on. And I internalized that a lot to where I would eat in secret. So that secretive behavior of not doing things in front of other people because I was ashamed, it started with food because that was what was accessible mm. when I was younger. So, and you know, we all know food is very comforting. For me today, food is still a comfort source. And I mean, it's not going to put me in the ER like on a 0.5 blood alcohol level. So like if I have to use food as something, I'm going to use food versus like a drink. But that's where I feel like those behaviors started. I feel like it was all shame-based. And, you know, the comforting myself through something coming in externally. So it started with food. And then, yeah, by the time I got to college, it was like alcohol. And it was like, whoa, this is so much better, you know. Um, but I feel like that was it. And, you know, there's a lot of shame in black and brown communities about being depressed. You know, if I told my mom I felt sad, well, go clean. You know, like, oh, you feel bad? Well, go do a chore. But you can't mm -hmm. work yourself into a healthy state of mind, you know. Like, you can't. You know, that's how people end up broken. That's how people end up in these toxic situations. And, you know, so I could never, my feelings were never honored, quote unquote. And so I feel like I just had to deal with these heavy episodes of depression. And, you know, like bipolar disorder typically develops in women when they're like in their early 20s. And I mean, it's classic. Like when I think about the worst times of my life, it makes sense. Like these real heavy episodes of depression. I never would get like really manic, which is like, Bipolar one, yeah. like you have those really high highs. I just got depressed. Like that was more my thing. Yeah, no, I, I, I could hear, I could understand like how, you know, especially dealing with like mental health and just, you know, the shame of it all, how you could kind of flex between, you know, like, you know, just different episodes, like you were saying how, you know, 
you know, you're trying to hide it, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Then it comes out and then you hide it again because you go through these different ups and downs. And I can only imagine. Yeah. Funny enough, you, you mentioned your family and, and I was curious, like, you know, you talked about how you wrote the article and then, you know, your the news, you know, or, or that big reveal finally came out. Um, you know, I'm curious, like, how did your family and friends receive that news? Like, was that their yeah. first time hearing it? Like, how, what was that reaction like? So by the time that article came out, people who were close to me knew how much I had been spiraling. Like my employer knew because obviously I was like in and out of work. So the people who knew me best knew that I was in bad shape. So for them, it was like, thank God, like, you know, like something changed, like something switched, like there was something that lit up in her. Like that's kind of how they took it. So they were kind of like, if this is what it takes, this is what it takes. You know, I mean... Because I had some people be like, oh my God, I could never because of my family, you know. But I'm also blessed that like my sister is like the biggest cheerleader on the planet. And so whatever was going to keep me alive, she was going to go for it. And if opening up and speaking the truth is what was going to keep me alive, then, you know, by all means, you know. I mean, my mom, she's, I can't worry about my mom, you know. It's just, it is what it is. And I'm healthy now. So really like that's, that's what matters at the end. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I did want to ask, um, how do you feel about when people go out and say they do bottomless brunch and then they get super like wasted and then they just use the term, oh, I'm feeling alcoholic loosely. How, like, how do you feel about people who use that term and, and try to you know downplay the actual dynamic effects of someone who may be suffering through it and going through sobriety? Yeah, it's funny because language and word choice is always so interesting because I would do that. I did that all the time because it was a funny way to like, oh, I'm so alcoholic. Let me drink like mimosas to brush it off and make it seem light. Because if you make a joke out of it, then like other people can't take it as seriously either, you know? So, you know, when people say that, sometimes there's truth to it and that's your humor is a way to cope through things. And then mm-hmm. sometimes maybe it isn't that there's truth to it, but, you know, you're not even thinking about what the hell you're saying, which people do most of the time. You know, I mean, I think that it's important as a culture, like an American culture, no matter like what the hell your color is, to think about how alcohol is marketed, you know, towards everybody. Like it's a, you know, you drink when you're happy, you drink when you're unhappy. I mean, now like women, the amount of women like NPR recently, well, last summer posted an article about how the amount of women having alcoholic liver disease has been shooting up because obviously women's bodies don't process alcohol in the same way, but now women are drinking Mm -hmm. as much as men. So like they're getting Mm -hmm. sicker, younger, you know? So I think that we don't analyze alcohol. Like, you know, at one point it was big tobacco and everybody smoked until people saw the health effects of it. Like now it's more people I feel like are starting to, whether or not they're actually like alcoholic, I think more and more people are questioning their relationship with alcohol and wondering how much it really benefits them. Because even one drink is not good for you. Like the stuff is literally like technically poisonous, you know, like there's no benefit to anybody's body from it. So, you know, I think that it's just a lot of times it's absent-minded marketing that happens or like buying into like you know, advertising and what's currently hip. And then again, I think a lot of people who with use that language, it's to kind of like touch on the truth without having to like acknowledge it. Yeah. Yeah. That's I an excellent point. Yeah. That's that's an excellent point. Yeah. Um, um I feel like you know No, I was gonna say sorry, I was gonna say because it, it you hit the the point with advertisements and I realized I, I this is just my own little type of insight with like prospective studies and viewpoints that there have been more advertisement with, you know, certain types of alcohol and liquors and trying new drinks and fancy stuff during the actual pandemic. And now that, you know, people can't go out and do their, their own happy hour, they're forced to get alcohol. Now alcohol, alcohol delivery to your home. You could deliver it with anything, Publix, Instacart, uh, Uber Eats. You could get alcohol delivered right to your door. Nobody yeah. knows anything. So having that type of accessibility, it does definitely makes it hard. And especially when you're home alone, 
during a pandemic and this is like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm decompressing. This is my time, my me time, wine time. We advertise it so much, but nobody looks at the, the bigger picture of how debilitating it can actually be for someone to actually go through it and do it in secret, you know, because no one will ever really know until you voice it or if there's something dramatically happens to you, you know? Right. But, yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I can't tell you how many people have reached out to me in private who are still struggling or they've stopped. There's a lot of people and there's a lot of teachers, especially who I knew throughout mm. the years. And they came out to me and especially with COVID because you're teaching from home. So like, here I am addressing my class. Okay, break. Here's my drink, you know, mm. and mm. nobody knows. Nobody knows. And, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say that um, it's... It's really fascinating because when COVID started, right, I mean, we all like witnessed like a whole bunch of businesses and stuff closing down, right? Like nothing, there was no access to much resources. Like, yeah, there was like supermarkets open, but, you know, obviously, you know, people were very cautious and mindful. But I just found it strange that how like liquor stores were just like regular day, <laughs> like nothing was closed. There was not like, oh, limited hours or oh, you know, we're closing down because of everything. It was like, liquor stores are wide open. Everyone was able to just, like, go in, get a bottle. And this was, like, fresh. Like, yeah. like you know, shutdown just happened. And it was just, like, the only things that were open were, like, probably a corner store or, like, a supermarket. And then liquor stores. All the liquor stores were open. So yeah. it's just interesting how the, the liquor industry somewhat benefited from, you know, what happened a few years ago. And, you know... As a result, other people or, or people, you know, developed these unhealthy habits throughout the pandemic. And now that we're kind of in the space where, is we, where the pandemic or just in general life is kind of normalized in a sense. Now people are either noticing, you know, the effects of how their bodies have changed because of all that alcohol that was consumed. And now it's like, oh, wow, I should either you know, make a change or do something, you know, not, not to say they necessarily have become alcoholics in that point, but the amount of alcohol that was probably consumed between that time was just so much that the average person, you know, that probably would like have one or two drinks a week or something like that. It really like rapidly increased, you know? So I feel like, um, certain people definitely developed those unhealthy habits and they, they weren't even conscious of it because, you know, once again, we were like locked down. We were locked in or we were locked down and every day felt the same. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, you know, at that point, yeah. any happy is happy hour because I just need to get through this day to the next girl. And yeah, yeah. Um, yes, that was a lot for some yeah. people. So. And it's a, it's a very gray area. Like what defines, and you know, like for some people, they don't even use the term alcoholic because it's such a negative term. And you know, there's all mm-hmm. kinds of terminology, but at the end of the day, like, when is it a problem, you know? And I think it's probably different for different people. You know, I mean, obviously if you're in denial, you could be like, like me, I could be drinking a fifth and not admit that I had a problem. But you know, yeah, like you can be the person who normally would have one or two drinks. And then by the end of the pandemic, you're realizing that you're kind of itching for that drink every day. You know, what's going on? And sometimes it's a physical dependence and sometimes it's a psychological Mm -hmm. one. And yeah, I think it's like, coming out of it, it is really important to reevaluate your relationship with alcohol. Maybe you need to stop. Maybe you need to slow down. Maybe everything's fine. But I think that it is always good to have some self-awareness about what we put into our bodies, whether it's food or alcohol or any other substance. Also, I wanted to touch uh, more about, you know, big alcohol and their their money going into um into advertisements, but, you know, there's like a variety of different uh, rehab centers, you know, there's inpatient, outpatient, detox centers, but it's often hard, I guess, for the individual themselves and the individual's family to get someone into rehab because there aren't affordable rehab centers for people who are struggling. And most people who are struggling spend all their money on alcohol or any type of substance or any type of drugs and it's like a catch-22, a vicious cycle that they just spiral down and they can't get the help even if they wanted to, you know what I mean? So what are your thoughts about, I guess, the U.S. Uh, government system trying to aid more research into rehab facilities for people who are struggling with sobriety? Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, like I said, I've done like that whole list you said, I've been to all in all those situations. 
and like they'll take you in but then they'll take you in up to a certain point that your insurance will pay for you and then you'll go mm-hmm. if you're uninsured there's some places you can go but it'll be like you've got this much time you know so to sometimes get like a full therapeutic support that can be almost nearly impossible or you come out with a lot of debt i can't even tell you how many hospital bills like i'm still paying hospital bills from 2019 because it's so expensive even with health insurance it's so expensive like i know in louisville there was this place called the healing place that is a completely self-running free program but because it's free you can't go there and do anything medical so you can't like detox Mm. alcohol medically it's just like you're in there and you're Cold, cold turkey. turkey and for yeah. some people they literally can't you know for some people oh, they need medical some people assistance. go through withdrawals and they get seizures and they're getting withdrawals and seizures as well too if they do facility? they probably just they probably get sent to the hospital if something like that happens you know okay. but because i mean even in rehabs that i've been in people have gone into seizures and they'll get sent to the emergency room because obviously like right. even though you might be taking like benzos to come off of alcohol safely it's mm-hmm. still you still run that risk. I mean, thank God I never had a seizure, but I've seen it happen a couple of times. They just send them to the ER until they're stable. Then they bring them back to the rehab facility. I guess my follow up question. Sorry, Vicky. My follow up mm-hmm. question is with that is, you know, let's say we give the, the rehab a 30 day trial, but 30 days is never enough. How do we keep people from relapsing? to come back again and do another cycle of rehab instead of just offering, I guess, whatever individualized plan that they need for that patient-centered care type of rehabilitation? That's such a good question. Cause I mean, I'm the perfect example of someone, like I would walk out the door and then go drink the same day. Like I would walk out of the facility, be like, bye to the social workers and the doctors and the nurses. And because I had, there was, I was not well, I still went and did the exact same thing, you know? And I think that a part of it is, it's like, if you're in those places, a lot of them, for example, just recommend one type of recovery, you know, right. like it'll say like this 12 step program is the only way for you to like get a sober. Cookie, 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 yeah. Cookie, cookie cooker, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. 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 Like here's the box. This is what you need to do to get sober. And so if you don't fit in that box, you're set up to fail, right? Mm -hmm. So you come out of these places and you don't have that support. Like it took eight hospitalizations for one person to say you might need medication. Why did it take eight times? Those seven other times, it was the same box, the same box. And that box is a part of my toolbox today, but I should have been presented with more options in the first place. But it took eight hospitalizations and God knows how much money for someone to be like, let's dig a little bit deeper into what's going on so that we can help you, you know, come out of this. And so that is a part of it. I think like there's like the root cause is not really being addressed in rehabs. I think it's slapping band-aids mm-hmm. and sending people out. You know, it, it's a lot of band-aid slapping and I don't have like the answer, but I know from my experience that yes, it's, it's not a solution and a lot of people will relapse and come right back in. And I mean, we are in a country where like big pharma like makes a lot of money, you know, like it or not big pharma, but just like insurance companies and all of that. Like they make a lot of money every time someone relapses and goes right back in the hospital. Like somebody gets a lot of money every time someone goes back in, you know. And so it's all it's all really, really like I wish I had the answers. It's just like from seeing it, you know, so many people I've been in there with have died because, you know, I'm in there with people, you know, and it's like. Either they committed suicide or if they like relapsed and they relapsed on an opiate, there was fentanyl in there or something, they OD'd, which is what happened to my boyfriend. You know, he died from a drug overdose. And when they did the um, autopsy, it was fentanyl. So, you know, it's just like you're not necessarily set up to be successful when you're leaving. It's like, you know, you leave and it's like, God bless you. Good luck. You know, that kind of a thing. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, it's the recidivism that's, you know, like the constant revolving door, because at the end of the day, you know, these insurance companies benefit from people constantly going back in. You know what I mean? It It's yeah. giving incarceration. And it, it, when you just mentioned that, it reminds me of the incarceration system where it's like these these industrial companies get more money by people going back into the system and you're just in and out round and round and round. And 
you know, it's unfortunate that, you know, because I think for people on the outside, people get the, the conception that rehab is simply, all right, 12-step program, you're done, great, you're out, you're all better, you know, everybody wins. And, you know, I'm so glad that you gave that insight because I'm pretty sure there, I mean, based on what you're saying, it's so much more to that than just, so right? So more, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and for I, some and I, people... Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I was going to say, for some people, just this 12-step program is perfect, but it, that's the thing. It's like we are individual, and so, like, for me, I need a whole lot more. Like, I got a 12-step <laughs> program, and I have a whole list of other things because that was just not enough, you know? And that's okay, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and you don't, it, needs to, it needs to be individual, individualized and catered to the actual um, patient itself. Like, yeah. it has to be patient-centered. And the fact that it took you eight times for them to even look at something underlying, you know, masking your mental health disorder, your BD2. Like that is something that should have been transpired within, you know, if they want to do something very cookie cutter, very protocol, very procedural, that's something that they should assess as well too. Because a lot of people who do go through substance abuse are trying to numb something, Something whether it's schizophrenia, whether it's bipolar, whether any type of psychiatry, Mm -hmm. anything, they try to suppress that. Even trauma, trauma related things that can just spiral into your adulthood. Those are things that people try to do to feel numb. And that's the underlying cause of most, most substance abuse, not all, but most. And since everything seems so processed and robotic and cookie cutter-esque, they should try to inform, you know, implement that into some kind of, you know, protocol when you're doing screening to see what's going on in the first place. You know, that's just my two cents. Yeah. And, you know, it takes a lot of time, right? Like, that's the thing. It takes more resources and like, you know, you'll go to rehab. Yeah. And like, (laughs) you'll be in a session, like a therapy session with handouts. Like, like we're in like, fourth grade Three? like here's a handout <laughs> yeah here, here you know like I can't tell you how many handouts like I have you know I well I mean I threw all of them out but yeah like that was the thing exactly and, and, that's a good yeah. example you'll throw them out it's like yeah. uh flyers from for grocery markets nobody wants nobody's going to actively read that this is why no. I guess a different approach is something that could be looked into I don't know if there's more research that can go into that but yeah ever since you know with opioids and even in my profession when doctors are prescribing pain medications and they are making people get addicted to pain medication that also spirals into another addiction there's so many avenues that we can look into trying to figure out what's a good way to help throughout the process you know because anything happens we don't know what could happen. Anything could trigger someone to want to always yeah. continue feeling a good way. Everybody wants to catch that high. And I think I saw this on intervention. Uh, the first high is always the best high. And every every time you try to do something, you're always trying to catch that first high. But you just mm. never do. Um, real quick, I just want to ask, like, um, you know, I just want to pivot real quick before we wrap up. Um, you know, so we have this website, Bottomless is Sober. I just want to ask real quick, like, how did the website start? How did you get that started? How did that come about? And um, I really find it interesting that you um, gather other people's stories of sobriety on your site, too. So I was wondering, how did that kind of get started as well? Yeah, and I need to get back on it. It's been, you know, it's so hard to keep on top of projects, but... It was a way for me to deal with my grief about Ian dying. You know, Ian had been on the news in Louisville when he was in a good spot and he like shared his story and it inspired people and it helped others. And I was like, you know, what can I do? How can I positively channel all this, like all these horrible feelings? And I was like, you know what? Like, let me make a project where I share some people's stories and, you know, we go through, like, I like sit down, talk to somebody and they just tell me everything. And then I like do a like, quick like three four page thing about like their story and I share it or a couple people sometimes like submitted their own thing or things like that Mm -hmm. and I mean it's been it it was very very therapeutic and Mm -hmm. it's just like I would love to have more time to do it or I kind of want to explore different forms because I've been doing a lot of writing about it but I feel like I wanted to explore some more like video work 
also telling more of my stories too because I feel like there's so many parts of my stories that have never been shared that would be valuable. I've played around with YouTube. I don't know. It's it's so hard to like narrow down the creative energy, but you TikTok. know, so far it's <laughs> yeah. There's somebody Love creative that. here. <laughs> TikTok yeah. might be no for real. TikTok definitely. Um, I mean, I, I I laugh about it, but. TikTok really has a good reach when it comes to like reaching out to different audiences and especially yeah. people in certain communities. So maybe I'm just suggesting, I'm not saying like you have to, but yeah, no. TikTok yeah. may yeah. be no, an avenue good, where, good you know, you it's can share work, your though. story. It is. It is. Yeah. yeah. It's I mean, the editing <laughs> shit. I'm like, I don't have like all this <laughs> editing. You gotta do the <laughs> Oh, it's right. <laughs> Not saying yeah, you gotta like, do it for the trends, but I'm saying like if you want to share your story with a large amount of people, but also possibly in that way um, get other people to like volunteer because you know with TikTok you could certainly like have other people tell their stories too. So probably that's a way of like yeah. build a community really easily, and it just takes a prompt where it's like, hey, talk about your you know first time in rehab, or you know tell me about you know the first time you decided like I need to you know, turn around my life from, you know, like substance abuse. Like those simple questions or prompts could, you know, as I said, inspire someone or like let someone mm. want to share the stories. And as I said, this definitely builds a community around it. So this is yeah. interesting. You can I like have to that. No, I like that. I like that. I like that really? one. You yeah. I mean? So there you go. That's, that's oh, a cool idea. Do what you will. One, one final question before we wrap up. What are, what is some advice you can give to someone who may be going through some, um, you know, some bouts of depression or going through uh, a period of time where they might consider using substances to, to cope with? You know, well, I mean, the first thing is it's like, it's okay if you're noticing that there might be something wrong. Like there's a, for everything, for every problem, there is a solution. And for every negative feeling, there's a positive, like there's the opposite. So like, no matter how dark things might feel, no matter how hopeless something might feel, like even if you don't believe it in that moment, the opposite is possible, you know? And it's like, there is, there's more to life than the darkness that you're in there mm. as much pain as you can feel is also as much joy as you can feel and so what i would tell anybody who is struggling is like you know you're worth it you might not believe it at this time but if you can hang on like you can get to that other side of it you know like i've been i've been there i've wanted to die i was pissed when i had that car accident and all i did was get that that like laceration i couldn't believe it you know, then I was pissed that they wouldn't give me pain pills at the hospital. I was like, God, at least like something, you know, and like, that's the thing. Like, I believe in like the law of polarity. So no matter how bad something is, just something just as good can happen, you know, and I feel like my life is a really good example of that. Wow. Wow. That's, yeah, it is. And it's giving me goosebumps. I am, <laughs> I am personally happy for you and happy for your journey and finding this space of like glowing happiness and peace in your sobriety like that is something that resonated me to to reach out to you and I was like wow I I am really proud of this girl I'm glad that Thank I know you, you first of all <laughs> <laughs> oh. yeah I'm okay. really just happy that you know you know, you're able to share your story with us on this platform. And yeah, for those, once again, who are listening, who might be going through something like this, we hope that Jessica was able to, you know, point you in the right direction. So yeah, really, really appreciate it. Yeah. So Okay. Thank you so for having me. No, let's end with something light. Now that, you know, <laughs> we got to know you a little bit more on the podcast level, we want to do Two Truths and a Lie. And if either one of us fixing our eyes, pick out the lie, the other person has to rap on the next episode. Okay. Wow. So wow. two truths. Nobody and has a lie. won yet. No one has won yet. Oh so. Okay. All right. So <laughs> two truths and a lie. Um, I. I. Oh, wait, hold on. Okay. Two truths and a lie. No. 
Um, so I, I've met, uh, Rajon Rondo and tried to take a bunch of pictures with him. I wanted to meet Donald Trump. I, I just had it and I lost it. I met Spike Lee. Mm. The also unbelievable girl. I don't know. <laughs> Roll ticket stop. <laughs> I'm going to say Donald Trump. That was the lie. Yes, I did not want to mm. meet him, and I refused to meet him when I had the opportunity as the state teacher of the year in 2019 for Kentucky. I was representing the state, and I refused to meet the president. I I, so. I would be on that same vibe. So. You know what? It's that Gersh vibe. It's that Gersh vibe. We want It is the Gersh Brooklyn vibe. Yes. I was like, no, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, hard no. pass. You can at yeah. You can at me on Twitter as much as you want to. No, no. As you do say that, please let our audience know where they they can find you and your handles. You know. Yes. So Twitter is at J Duenas, D-U-E-N-A-S-2-4. On Instagram, you can just find my personal one and it links to everything else at Jessie La Duena. So Y-E-S-I-L-A-D-U-E-N-A. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I have my website, bottomlessdisover.com that I need to keep developing and that's okay. That's and yeah. Well, hopefully you could drive some traffic. Or podcast yeah. traffic, you know, your way in. Yeah, uh, your way, yeah. Yeah, get some that'd clicks. be awesome. Sure. <laughs> well, yeah. once again, thank you, Jessica, so much for joining us today. Really, really thank appreciate you. it. And yeah, you. that is it for us. Um, that is that. Uh, once again, you can catch us uh, on our podcast platforms, SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Catch me and Rovi on our respective social media and catch the podcast on Twitter and on Instagram and wherever else we are at. Uh, we also have some new things coming up soon in the works, secrets. So, you know, just stay tuned. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, that's about it from us. So, um, Oh, really and also, let listening. me interject. Yes. If you have any questions, please email us at mm. sophigpodcast at gmail.com. I stay forgetting to mention it because I've given up on that's the That's okay. I've, I've given up. I have but... not. There's been some inquiries that's coming in and some, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> advice that they've been asking. So, okay. you know, there's a All few right. ghost uh, anonymous emails that maybe, you know, I want to, I'm combing through some of them that's uh, actually, you know, censored. And, and I, that's I the best see. way I can say it. Well, yeah. well, restore my faith in humanity. Why not, y'all? <laughs> but yes, please send those emails. We would love to hear from y'all. And yeah, that is it from us for today. And uh, we will catch y'all next time on the show. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Bye. Say goodbye, Ruby. Bye.